Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Hospitality TV. I am your host, Rafael Peterson. If this is your first time tuning into the episode, thank you so much for joining. This is a show that was created from the hospitality industry for the hospitality industry. The goal here is to interview some amazing people that have real life insights and lessons. Hopefully, we can learn from some of the things that they've done so that we can be better. By default, those around us can be better and we can all be better at what we do and achieve our goals. The one thing, the one thing I'd like to ask is if you think that this show provides you any value whatsoever, please share the show. The more we share it, the more it gets in front of people, the more chance it has to help more people. We are on podcasts on Apple and Spotify and Google. We're on YouTube at Hospitality TV RAF, and then we're on Instagram at Hospitality TV. That's where I share most of the shorter clips. Those are very shareable, easy to share on that. So please hop on, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. So on to today's show. <laughs> How are you, sir? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having um, you know a platform for people to come on and kind of talk about the ins and outs of the hospitality industry, a platform for uh, for German wine a little bit today, which yes. is also very cool. So in-house, we have Mr. Zach Music. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? I'm going to ask you. Yeah, Music. So what yeah. an epic last name. Thank you, bro. <laughs> I appreciate you. Current Director of Education for the German Wine Collection, um, former industry head as all of us, a former sommelier and wine director as well. So we're going to get into some questions. What do, you, what do you got going on over there? Oh, so we are opening up. As we're getting through the beginning, I, I couldn't couldn't wait to clear my palate. Yeah, there you go. Um, so this is from um, I, th- I figured since we're doing this in the morning, let's bring some uh, let's bring some bubbles. So this is German sect from uh, Sektaus Romland. This is coming out of uh, Rheinhessen from uh, Florsheim Dalsheim. Um, the Romland family is really responsible for kind of the um, the rebirth of German sect. You know the German. Germans drink a, a lot of bubbles, more more sparkling wine than any other country. And really? so it would only make sense for them to be producing high quality bubbles in the country. And for a long time, they're just there weren't those leaders like Volker Romlin going out and really kind of setting new standards. And um, that's really what they've done um, since 1990. And so we are drinking the Mary Louisa It is uh, named after his eldest daughter. Um, it is all organic, biodynamic, hand harvested um, on like chalky limestone soil. So there's a lot of similarities between um, specifically Romland being a sect house, almost even like a champagne house and the typical champagne houses um, where they sit in Florsheim, Dalsheim. It actually sits right along the same latitude as Reims. Can um, I pour some for you? Yeah, yeah, please. Thank you. Um, this is going to be... 79% Pinot Noir, 21% Pinot Meunier. So using those those classic uh, champagne varieties as well. It's got a little color to it too. Yeah, you know, they are doing, um, they are doing f- four years on the Lees with this. Um, they always put like, I, I love, you know, mm. being, in, being in the industry, there's something really beautiful about like putting the disgorgement date yep. on the back of the bottle. So whenever someone asks, like, oh, how long on the lease? Like, you can get it down to the month almost. Yep, yep, yep. And so that's always, um, I think this is 44 months. Um, 44 months on lease. 44 months on lease. Nice. Nice, dude. We've never gotten into uh, wine right away on the show. So okay, cheers, cool. man. This oh, is a great way to start. Cheers, brother. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, you can definitely smell that lease character just on the nose. 
You said sect house. Sorry, you said a lot there. So I'm trying to digest. I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Yeah. Sect house. Does that mean a dry wine producing house? So sect is right the term for German sparkling wine. Right? And it actually came about, um, I want to say like 1825. It was almost like the day that it came about. And it was really named. Um, the only reason it was created was it was a, it was actually a poor translation. These German uh, translators were translating an old Shakespeare an old Shakespearean play. And um, the line was like, give me a cup of sack, which was in, in reference to Sherry. And then when they translated it, it came out as sect. And this was like the sect factories had just opened up and he was given in this play, he was given some, some bubbles. Gotcha. And so that's really, it just kind of morphed into sect being what, what that is. And before there were ever like sect houses, there were these big sect factories. Um, George, Christian Kessler was one of the first um, sect factory owners, and he was actually uh, a partner in Veuve Clicquot, which is always really amazing. And that's what I, um, you know, it, it shows kind of the contribution that German sparkling wine houses had to to champagne. Um, even Joseph Joseph Krug started Krug Champagne. Before that, he was a butcher in Mainz. But you have Bollinger, Mum, like these were all Germans that moved to Champagne and started these champagne houses. So there has always been this connection between Germany and Champagne. Um, I don't want to say that's why they drink all the bubbles. It probably has something to do with it. I mean, but who doesn't who doesn't like bubbles? Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. No, that's so interesting. There's so much uh, history that's that's related between them, right? Yeah. All right. So there's a lot of things I want to cover with you today. Um, thanks for the bubbles. That's absolutely delicious. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to good. start. The day. I haven't had this in a while. Yeah, I'm um, I'm very happy with this. Yeah. Um, yeah, oh, and, that's oh, really nice. Super that's dry really too. nice. I mean, I think that. Um, so this is five right. grams of dosage, too, okay. which is like it's just a touch to round it out, right? It's just, not like yeah. bone dry blanc de blanc that's sharp and citrusy yeah. and green apple and tart. This is a little bit richer, rounder, more weight to it. it has its brioche toasty notes. Yeah, you can yeah. get that lazy note from it. Yeah, and that's that kind great. of like that ripeness is there, but yep. it's not like pushing seven, eight. I mean, so many champagne houses even are like pushing up to like middle of what brood is. And it's like, I, pre I prefer my, my bubbles in that extra brute category. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest thing that people get wrong about German wines today? Oh, um, I, I mean, I think easy. It's, it's sweet Riesling. I think everybody automatically assumes I mean, they're almost synonymous with each other mm -hmm. in, in America. And that's really just, that's not the way it is in Germany. I mean, I think people assume you go to Germany and it's like, oh, well, if you, if you drink, if you're drinking wine, it's sweet Riesling. And that's just, it's, it's not, it's not what you're having, you right. know? And we have, you know, when, when Jenna Fields started the German wine collection four years ago, we, we went to all of our, our wineries, all of our producers and asked them, you know, what is really important to you? And more than one asked if they could never make sweet wine again. And, <laughs> um, we said, yes, like, yeah, dude, is that what you, I mean, does that kind of fit your whole philosophy? And they're, they're like, no, we want to focus on dry wine. We want to be more terroir driven, which as you know, I mean, the, the sweeter, riper styles, you start losing that terroir after a while, you know, the, the, overall aromas that come forth are, are more fruity rather than mineral driven. And they wanted, you know, they have these beautiful sites and they wanted the sites to show. And this right. is, um, it's much easier to do with the, with the drier style. So we have a lot of producers 
harvesting their fruit at Spätlese level and then fermenting it completely trocken to have this wine that has, you know, a, a beautiful balance, but also has that versatility so you can have it with, with more food. And uh, why were German wines made sweet? Why, you know, I think they're, they, they put it on the map and they became famous for that, right? Versus yeah. like other regions didn't necessarily do that. Where did that come from? I mean, a long time ago, it was very much in fashion. You didn't really have sweet wines. I mean, it was the only, I mean, you could have like Sauternes and even Sauternes, you know, it was, it was shown as being this wine that only the extreme wealthy could, could have. And, um, even, you know, 19th century, the German Rieslings that were sweet were considered some of the most expensive wines in the world. You know, Mosel, Mosel Rieslings, Rheingau Rieslings. I mean, they were all wildly sweet and these, these vineyard sites were sought after. They're more expensive than the first growths. They're Mm -hmm. more expensive than like, you know, there was like giving Roman Aconte a run for its money. And um, just as time progressed, obviously there were there were some wars that happened um, and the sweet wines are still being produced. But a lot of the wines that were being imported into America were were bulk co-op. Blue wines. None. Blue none. Exactly. You know, these <laughs> <Thanks a lot. laughs> these wines that really just misrepresented what German wine culture was and what was being produced in the country. And um, that's really when, you know, Thierry Thies came along, Rudy Wiest. Both of these guys were like, hey, let's like, let's show like the quality of this category. And they kept on bringing in. They were, were focusing on the Pratikat wines, the Cabinets, the yeah. Schweitzer, the Auslese. But they were very much trying to show the top quality producers. Right. You know, like Thierry Thies <laughs> was found, found Donhoff and was like, bring this in. And Rudy found J.J. Prume. And they're like, wow, these wines are they're, they're incredible. And they yeah. are. They, I mean, they're still incredible today. You know, I'm not drinking Spätlaser Riesling every day, but, you know, when you have them, you're like, wow, they're wildly well-balanced. Right. I mean, and they are focusing on these beautiful sought-after sites that are almost picturesque, you know, with these kind of like romantic rolling hills next right. to the Right. Oh, my God. River. Yeah, you always see those. Like, that's like the one of the, the, the most picturesque vineyards in the world when you look at like the wine Bible and all these things that have these amazing pictures and yeah. the steepest vineyards in the world right amongst these river banks. You're like, I'm going to Austria. I know it's not Germany. I'm going to Austria no, this it's year. Great. It's like yeah. kind of like similar, you know, yeah. similar. I don't want to offend anybody, but a lot no, of similarities, no right? Offense. Like yeah. I'm so pumped to go there and Good. just see this culture. Um, I was going to say is, is about the sweetness thing again, like in, in the winemaker's defense, I feel like the, the German wine law system was set up to reward the amount of ripeness you could get in the grapes, right? And yeah. that's, I mean, so obviously they're kind of setting it up and then maybe that kind of caused for people to, that, that was the creation of the VDP, right? To kind of mm-hmm. branch away from that and yep. start doing their own thing and more of a focus towards drier wines. Yeah. I mean, it's really, I mean, only since, um, you know, 2002, it was, that's that's when we started the like the whole grossest of X category. Gotcha. And you started being like, okay, well, what these- is the, what is the grossest of X category for those who might not know? <laughs> so the grossest of X category. We're getting nerdy. This yeah, is a yeah, Germ- this German, is, German podcast today on German wine law, German <laughs> wines. We're going to get nerdy. If yeah. this is, if you're, you know, it's just going to be like this the whole episode. Yeah. So if this is not for you, sorry, no offense, <laughs> but this is how it's going to be the whole episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and it is cool. Cause there is this, I mean, like you were saying before, I mean, so many people are just unaware of what, what they should be drinking in German wine. And right. so I think the grossest Gewächs category represents the, it's the Grand Cru, you know, it's the best. It has to not only come from Grand Cru vineyard sites, but it has to be hand harvested. It has to be um, harvested under 50 hectoliters per hectare. So low, super low yields. Um, you have to harvest it at spate laser level and then ferment it trucken or dry, which is less than nine grams per liter of residual sugar. Um, so there's all these things that you have to do. And then even after you do all of those things, 
you have to submit it to a tasting panel. Mm. And that's like one of the only categories that's really like that other than maybe special club champagne where it doesn't even, you can do all the stuff and then submit it. And you know, the tasting panel who's it's, it's the people who run the VDP. Right. And so a couple of things you said there that were important. The, so the GG category is, has to be dry. Has to be dry. And dry, also known as trokin. Yep. This is interesting, is up to nine grams of residual sugar per liter. Yeah. Which can be a lot. I mean, you can start it, sensing some sweetness. It's, you know, five, six, seven for sure, yeah, right? Depending. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's all in, in relation. I mean, if you have, if your acidity is ripping and it's really high. Yeah. You can go up to nine and not really notice it, you know, and that's something that's really nice about German Riesling is it does have that ripping acidity. Totally. But if you were to have something a little bit lower and say lower alcohol, right, those two things, it's all a big balance game, um, then it will, it will be perceived as, as this kind of sweeter kind. And we rarely see anybody get over like six or seven for GGs. Okay. Gotcha. Only in really ripe years. Right. Right. It's so like 13, you might've seen a little bit more of that because it was a little bit of a warmer year. Um, and really the, the, the cooler years are the ones that, especially with, with global warming, the ones that they're like, Hey, this is great. This is going to be a great year. They can get a little bit longer hang time on the fruit. So you get this complexity and depth. Um, and then you're able to have, have that, that dry style too. Yeah. So it, it's, um, it is, it's. It's a tough thing to do because you can always ferment it all out, but it's about creating that balance. And that's why so many of these top winemakers are rewarded because it's not about just what they're doing in the vineyard site, even though they will say that they they make the wine in the vineyards as the best winemakers say. But the the blending afterwards is really what, you know, determines a lot of the, the quality. Totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And um, they're not allowed to, they can't add any uh nope. sugar to the must or anything like that no. right was there a time where they could i can't remember that or um there were ways kind of around it but yeah. the the vdp the germans being very german yeah like no yeah yeah, no yeah. well that, that that makes sense right? yeah the whole quality level is based on that yeah and so i mean yeah you can get in a lot of trouble for for doing for doing anything like that yeah for sure i want to jump to it's cool we're talking about um, while we're on, like, we're getting deep into the German wines, so I definitely want to talk about kind of the sales side of your of your company that you're at right now, and a little bit about your background in hospitality, also. But while we're here, if and I, being the director of education, if you wanted to give a brief introductory to the wines of Germany, ideally in a couple minutes or less, <laughs> <laughs> good. Yes, if you were able to do that, I know it's a very complicated area. Yeah, but you know, somebody asks you to to you know just a, kind of a cheat code. I would say maybe for your not the consumer level, a little mm-hmm. bit above the consumer level. Yeah, um, and maybe not at the sommelier level who's already studying, but maybe like for your server who yeah. works at a restaurant who knows a little bit about wine. They've heard a lot of these terminal, you know, these terms. They know about you know German wines being maybe sweet or dry. They have a little bit of a background, but still they don't know the differences between Mosel or Faust or Rheinhessen. Yeah. If you could do a brief introduction into German wines, what would it be like? Ooh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, this is the thing, you know, where it's like, hey, you have two hours. And I'm like, I don't know if it's enough time. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, just to just to kind of break it down, um, I think especially let's say it's someone who, you know, it's the server that is now in charge of the wine list. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're like, OK, I 
I want to make sure I have a well-rounded list. And when that comes to German wine, I think a lot of people naturally kind of navigate to being like, okay, I'm going to have like all of these Rieslings. And I think where that is important, I think everyone should have a, a, a dry and a sweet Riesling, not even sweet, a, 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 something that is cabinet level, right? Mm-hmm. So a l- little bit almost off dry and then something that is dry. And I think both of those work really well. You, you are satisfying certain palates. You will have someone that comes in that is asking for an off dry wine. Right. And to be honest, there isn't anything that compares to like cabinet Riesling right, right. for that category. So much better than Moscato, for example. Exactly. Which in is my opinion, it, which is something that a lot of people tend to, oh, well, we have That's half easy, bottles of Moscato. Easy and go like, yep. So, you know, you just have a little bit more versatility with something that at the cabinet level, you know, right. especially depending on what cuisine you are, you have at the restaurant. Right. right. Um, and then something dry. And the reason you always want to have a dry Riesling on your menu is because of that versatility. Uh, we just had uh, the Riesling birthday recently, International Riesling Day. And one of the funny memes that I saw was it was it was a picture of like every type of food. Like crammed into oh, one yeah, little yeah, I saw square, that one. Yeah, yeah. and then it's like <laughs> what reason, it pairs with, what yeah. it pairs with, you yeah. know. And it's like, it, and it, and it's true, you know. And it's, and I think going further, you don't have to have a a, a dry reasoning from every region. Mm-hmm. It's like find one, and it can be from faults. Um, faults tends to have a, a lot of different soil types. It tends to have a lot of limestone, which is always cool, right? Mm-hmm. It bumps up your asset a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, Mosul tends to be better for a lot of the Pratiquette wines. It's in my opinion, they produce the best Pratiquette wines. If you're looking for Spätlese or Auslese, I tend to focus that way. Um, and by, when you're saying Pratiquette, am I is that fair to assume? Kind of like you're saying off dry wines, off dry wines within that quality level to even like something that is considered sweet. Gotcha. Right? Okay. You know, like yep. something like dessert wines. Yeah. Um, they just, I mean, they've been doing it forever. For sure. They they are the best at it. For sure. Um, but really, just finding like talk to talk to your rep reach out to me and find, uh, you know, find, taste through some things. And I think so many buyers even get so caught up in the fact that they need to have the, the one that people are going to buy the most of when it's in reality, like if you're a server, you're a wine director, you are designing your wine program, get the one that you can get behind that you really like, right. You know, something that, yeah, it works with your food, but have something like if you don't like it and even though it's so like, don't put it on your list. And that I, in my opinion, that goes for everything of course and so um and that's which takes me to my next point which is like germany is so much more than riesling uh germany just overtook france in terms of pinot blanc production Mm -hmm. so they're now producing more pinot blanc than any country in the world um third largest for production of pinot noir and it's outstanding third largest in the world yeah pinot noir yeah so in like 85 they were second largest in the world so we, and then, you know, 86. What? Really? That's crazy. Yeah. I mean. Over you, like United States and yeah. France and New Zealand. France is and, number one. France will always be number one. Sure. Right. And so we yeah, have right bef- right behind France was, was Germany. And it was wow. like, I mean, yeah. I mean, you saw more Pinot Noir than you did any other red varietal. I mean, twice as much. I mean, yeah. a lot of the other grapes. I mean, almost all of our producers, whether or not we import their Pinot Noir, they are producing Pinot Noir. I mean, right, we have, right, right, right. And so many of the regions, I mean, you go there and, um, you know, everywhere you go, they're like, oh, do you want to try the Pinot Noir? And a lot of the time it's cool because, I mean, Pinot Noir craves that cool climate. I mean, every everything points to the fact that, like, Pinot Noir is very happy growing in Germany, right? Right, right, right. Especially in faults. They're like, oh, limestone soils, really cool climate. Sure. Um, yeah, it makes sense. And it's the reason why you have these, you know, these producers that are like... Do you think that's where the 
better, in air quotes, better Pinot Noirs are coming out of right now? The faults? Yeah. Um, I, I think or, or what I, are your favorites? I, I love the Pinot Noir coming out of faults. Yeah, okay. I love uh, I love what uh, Friedrich Becker is doing. I love what um, Okunumirat Rebholtz, the Rebholtz twins, worked under Armand Rousseau. They worked under um, Jean-Marc Rouleau, both in burgundy and then went with him to patagonia to do the bodega chakra projects cool which is another like you know like uh, a new area but it, the, uh, it makes sense like yep. cool climate like pinot noir makes sense for patagonia yep yep and so um these yeah the twins have worked under a lot of big names in burgundy making very very expensive pinot noir and then they come back and it shows it shows in, in their production um and then on the other side as far north as Meyer nacle coming out of the R. Mm-hmm. And that's as far north as you can possibly grow Pinot Noir, and it and the quality is is amazing. And they've they've had um they've had Pinot Noir planted in these vineyard sites since like second century, first second century. Wow. I mean, like forever. Yeah, yeah. And they're like steep slate soils. Um, they get amazing ripeness. They're like sixty percent grade, and so they're able to attain this amazing ripeness in mm. an area where you wouldn't think really any grapes would grow and they're able to grow these like old German varieties of Pinot Noir. Right. So it is really cool to see that. Um, and then Pinot Gris, uh, I think Grauberg under Germany produces more Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio than any other country other than Italy, obviously. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Number one. <laughs> yeah. Can't compete there. No, there's no, <laughs> yeah, they will never, we will never su- surpass, but um, the, the quality is also great and it's, it is its own style. It's not, um, it's not as, delicate yeah as pinot grigio it definitely is much more similar to the pinot gris that we're seeing coming out of alsace right, right um or even like slovenia like there's a touch of skin contact right um you see a little bit of that kind of copper ramato kind of color to it um and that's that's in my opinion the truest form of pinot gris and it's like we're seeing it coming out of like Baden and faults and this year i think um Wine enthusiast number 52 was a great, it was a GG, a Grossis Gavex Pinot Gris. Nice. And it's like, cool. Like we are moving in the yep. right direction. Yeah. Um, but it's also up to those buyers and those consumers going back to your, I'm way over two minutes, by the way. Oh, this explanation. <laughs> I forgot the original question. I'm just back into a conversation. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I think those are the things to focus on. I recently had somebody, not to, I'm not calling out any account, but somebody that do it. Tasted through, <laughs> tasted through, um, wanted to put some Pinot Blanc on the list and tasted through a few Pinot Blancs. And, um, we had Pinot Blanc from Wagner Stempel out of Ryan Hessen and it is out of this world. It's amazing. And he, he went with something from Alsace cause it's more classic. And, uh, you know, like we, we were like, well, it's very, you know, this is like the top you know, they are the top producers of Pinot Blanc in the world right now. Right. And I was like, did you, do you like it more? And he's like, no, I like the German one more, but he, he didn't think that he could have on two German wines by the glass. Yeah. And that's something where it's like, and I'm not saying that like everyone should have two German wines on by the glass, but if you have a wine that speaks to you, mm-hmm. that no matter where it's from, you know, if you've got some Chardonnay Viognier blend from Lebanon and yeah. you dig it, like, Put it on by the glass and get behind it and show I guess people. To this person's defense, there's extra work involved in that, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think from a consumer standpoint, like they might see this wine, they're like, I have no idea what that is. So now the only way that that's going to move is that they've done the work to fully 
transmit the passion and the enjoyment that they had behind that one when they tasted it to basically everybody on their staff who's going to come in contact with a consumer mm-hmm. or a customer or a guest, sorry. Um, because if not, it might just sit there. And then, it, and then now it's becoming more of an ego thing versus a proper business decision, which yeah. is, in some cases I feel like a lot of psalms do, you know, I'm not trying to call people out, but just my, yeah, it's been yeah. my experience too. Like I think a lot of people, I've been guilty of it. We, 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 we get something that we really like and then maybe not everybody understands Yeah, and everybody in your staff understands why they should be drinking it or why their, their guests should be drinking it. And then maybe it just gets lost a little bit. Right. So, and then that, and then the reality behind that choice is that that's not a really good business decision and yeah. you are not making a good decision as a sommelier for your wine program. Because at the end of the day, if you fill in a, and again, I'm not saying that this is what's happening, but no, if you're absolutely. not careful with, you know, with with putting things on your menu that are ultimately going to sell, and that's just basically your ego putting things on the menu. And I see that a lot, right? Yeah. So, so into that person's defense, that they might have also just been like, "Do I want to go through the work of having to explain to my entire staff who's going to be in contact with the list of why people should drink this wine?" They might just feel like, "Dude, I got I'm understaffed. I had so and so quit last week. I'm also acting general manager right now. Totally, I just got to make this easy for yeah. me, right?" So I think that that happens a lot too, and it's finding that balance of. I've been thinking about this, man. Thank you. I've been thinking about this too because I think it's 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 our job because I work for an importer now as well. So we're doing we're doing similar jobs. Like, how do you make that as easy for the buyer as possible so when if you see a hesitation how could it be like maybe on our end there's like and listen here's it's not just you know it depends on how good your tech sheets are i don't know what your tech sheets look like but yeah they're german so they're pretty they're pretty (laughs) in-depth yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's in it's been my experience that like most tech sheets for any distributor, I don't care who it is, like they're not telling me exactly what the server needs to know to recommend yeah. that wine, or it's right? Too much, like, or is or it, it's, it's too, too much. much. Like yeah. I, and again, sorry, I'm not trying to get too off track here, but like in my in my uh, last years when I was a, a, a wine director, I mean, my education shifted completely to like, how do you sell this wine in five seconds? Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Yeah, that's it. Like that's all you're gonna need to know yeah. when you're on the floor. So, so I've been thinking more about this. I'm like, man, I need to, I'm trying to like revisit these the things that I'll give people. It's like when you're in that going back to the scenario we're talking about, where you, you might see the look in this person's face of like, dude, I don't even want to go through the work of having to put this wine on the list and everything totally. that, that means. You, we might be able to give them something that's like, no, no, no. And here is the, the yeah the, the, the cliff concise notes. information yeah. that you need to successfully sell this and just need to hand this off to your staff. And maybe you know what? I'll come in. I'll come in. The, in the evening and hang out at the bar and and, and, and your service can I can talk to them yep. you know like I think it maybe requires a little bit more of a gentle yeah. push a little bit of hand holding for yeah. sure and for I sure. um I agree and I think I mean I think for certain places it's also up up to us to do what's right for the restaurant you know and it's like I'm not going to certain places and being like you know like hey you should you should carry this Muscateller or like, you know, at like the dive bar downtown, you know, and right, like, right. Oh, it's $20 a glass. You can sell it, you know, <laughs> it's on sale. Yeah. And so it's, um, there is, there's, we have a little bit of that responsibility. And I think behind it, it's like, yeah, like the, these are the reasons why. And I tend to relate it to, um, to a chef putting something on the menu. And, you know, a lot of chefs can put, keep their menu real easy and simple and be like, yeah, we have like this, this cheeseburger. And it's like, lettuce, tomato, pickles, and ketchup. And you're like, okay, well, that's great. And people will come in. They'll be like, yeah, that's fine. You know, and, or you can do something else and make it like a, 
a little bit more difficult, but more true to them and create more of an experience. Like maybe do a lamb burger with like roasted red bell peppers and goat cheese and arugula. And people are like, oh, wow, that's different. But, you know, those are the experiences that the the guests remember when they leave. Like nobody remembers like the time they went out and had a, you know, a glass of Camus and they had like a mediocre steak. You know, they're like, they got home <laughs> right. and they like immediately forgot that. Or they went to the sushi restaurant and they had a California roll and some like hot sake. Right. Like you're forgetting that. But the time when you go and you like have some like some nigiri from the sushi chef, like she does a whole omakase and you have some like older spatelaza mm. or some like cool chevion or something that you're like, wow, I never would have thought that this makes sense with this. Like you remember those things like a year later, you're like telling people like, Oh, it was so cool at this restaurant. They had this lamb burger and we had it with this Northern round Syrah. Mm. It was Cornas and it was, um, you know, it was amazing. And it's like, sounds amazing. Yeah. And the, the, but those are the little things and it doesn't need to be something as like Cornas and lamb burger. It can be like a pizza and German Pinot Blanc. And they're like, wow, like this is what you have to do. Like get the pizza. It's $12. Get the glass of Pinot Blanc. It's 11. And then yeah. it creates this experience yeah, around yeah, that yeah, yeah. restaurant. No, dude, I love it that you took it there. That's that that's this is that. And like I, I really mean this when I say like these are this is a tool to enhance your guests' experience in a different way. Maybe something that they haven't had, something they haven't tried before, and they're gonna pair it with some food that's gonna absolutely blow your mind. I I, I love that you took it there because that's really what these wines are. Um and I'm not just saying that. I'm super. Fam- I'm familiar with the portfolio. Yeah. Like I met Jenna before. I've tasted. Yeah. Like, we used to have some of the wines. Like, we're not just, we're not just bringing in. in random portfolios <laughs> here on the podcast, yeah. all right? Like I'm super excited about this book. I know the. I know a lot of the wines, and they're really, really good. Yeah, um, I mean, you were at and, a you were at a steakhouse, and yeah. like the place that where you wouldn't. And that's a great example, and like you know, a very like you know, a steakhouse that everybody likes going to and you could have your entire list be focused on like Bordeaux and California wines and Barolo and Rioja. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you did take a chance in your German Pinot Noir section was, Mm. God, those were so good. It was deep and it was really cool. And you had them from different areas and regions and like people would have them and be like, wow, like I had this crazy weird table side steak Diane with this like German Pinot Noir from the R, you know? Yeah, there are some great producers. I did, literally there. did that at your at the restaurant, and it was amazing. <laughs> nice. and I'll never forget it. And I'm like, dude, this is such a. Before I worked for these guys too, and it was like really yeah. cool then from a some perspective. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what I'm sure you've had a couple of these, so so try to dig in the memory bank. You probably don't have to dig too hard. What have been some of your best food and wine pairings with Riesling? Like some a couple that have just like scarred you in a good way. Oh. Um, there's I mean, gotta be a couple there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I always think, I mean, there, there's a few that you're like, yeah, this makes sense. I mean, like give me um, one with like a dry, a dry German experience and an off dryer sweet, you know, kind of yeah. like that sweetness always creates such an opportunity to pair with so many different things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, I always go like, um, I mean, this was at, um, God, man, like it, it a, a hole in the wall ramen ramen spot. And I, I will say I did, I brought a bottle of, of like cabinet Riesling. It wasn't, I want to say, oh, I think it was a bamboo. It wasn't wildly expensive. I think mm-hmm. I bought it for like, you know, $18 and I brought it with some other friends and we had, um, um, some tonkatsu ramen and like we, I added like a little bit too much chili oil and, um, I don't handle spice extremely well. <laughs> and it was like the way that it worked with 
the cabinet Riesling, it was like we, it was, I was with uh, two other people and we took down this bottle so fast um, to the point where it was like, like you had to go back and forth. It was so enjoyable to go back and forth between the bottle and the yeah. ramen yeah. that you, you just couldn't stop. I mean, it was silent. It was silent at this table <laughs> for like 15 minutes just cause we're like just taking down the ramen. And so I think overall the way that the, a touch of residual sugar and acid works with, you know, the, like a little bit of a heavy broth ramen, but also like complements like the nori. Um, it's able to like cut through any like fat. If you Mm -hmm. have like, you know, pork chashu, it's like, it cuts right through that and it elevates all those things. And then that heat, you lose, lose a little bit of the heat, but get the flavor. And then the heat also takes away the sweetness. So the wine is drier. And so it's this beautiful marriage. And it was definitely one of those things that I like, it was like an aha moment, even after like, I'd already been like kind of doing the Psalm thing, but it was something where I was like, I, I, I get it. I'm like drinking the Kool-Aid now, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, yeah, I want to do this forever gain a ton of weight, but just be this like guy who lives in Japan (laughs) who drinks Riesling and eats ramen all day. Oh my God. Um, and then like for dry, um, I had some older, um, Schaefer Frolich, uh, who's, um, Schaefer Frolich is a, it's a producer from the Na region. Mm-hmm. Um, they sit in the village of Bacchanal. How do you pronounce that in the region? Na? Na. Na. Okay. So not, it's like, not, definitely not Nahe. Not Nahe. Naha. <laughs> I definitely call yeah, it that. Yeah. The E is, the E at the end is always like a, uh. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Okay. Um, and this producer does a Fells Neck bottling, um, which is always like the 2018, um, Suckling named it like best white wine in the world. Mm. It's not. It's not like affordable by any means, but yeah. it is very good. And um, I did it with um, with a steak. I did it with like a, like a nice ribeye. And I would have like not even that long ago. Like I like let's say like nine years into me being a sommelier, I would have told you that that pairing that wouldn't make sense. And um, it was it one hundred percent changed my mind. Um, it's got it the body that it has and the way that it's able to cut through. Fat. It was like it, we were having like some A five wagyu. This was at um, mm. um, Matsu up okay. in Oceanside. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, they had this A five wagyu, and it was like, yeah, like you do it with riesling, and it was like nice. I mean, and it's one of those things where I was like, wow, it really does pair with everything. And it's like, I mean, I I still will always love like older Bordeaux or sure, you know, sure. some Chateau Musar and some steak like it's amazing it's great. for sure like i'm not discrediting <laughs> that in any way but it is something to try um especially like i mean i would encourage like every big sushi restaurant that has like a five wagyu nigiri like even if you don't sear it or you barely sear it um it it is wild it is the coolest thing that in my head still still to this day like i know why it it should make sense, but a part of me is like, no, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then you do it and you're like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like structurally, you're like big and fat, lots of acid. Right. And it like, it just, <clears throat> it works and you get so much more, not just out of the wine, but out of the, out of the, the meat too. Right. Yeah. And right. That would be, that would be my second top. I mean, I have a few, I have a few, but those are the, definitely the top two. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of it too. Just the, the, different sweetness levels you compare it with so many different things yeah i um yeah my dream my dream job forever was like because i grew up in peru i'm half peruvian i went to high school down there um from 13 to 20 so i've lived in peru for for seven years and and i the food in peru is ridiculous like the seafood down there is just out of this world it's the best in the world 
No. Like, hands down. Yeah, like, yeah, there's yeah, no, yeah. like, I mean, I don't know, like, maybe Japan, like, there's a conversation, but, like, I don't want to, I don't want to open up that can of worms. I've never been in Japan, so I can't talk. Yeah. But as far as, like, in the Americas, at least, yeah. like, some of the best food in the world, for sure, best seafood in the world. Um, well, they do like the Peruvian ceviche is like insane. nothing compared. And their restaurants are like number one on these yeah. lists. I mean, they're 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 crushing it. But there's so much variety, and there's not a big wine culture in Peru. So people are more about beer, and they're about cocktails and yep. pisco. But the wine culture isn't <clears throat> isn't like here. There's wines, but you know the wines that they're getting are you know there's a lot of Argentinian wines, there's Chilean mm-hmm. wines, there's Spanish wines. Yeah, but they're not really getting French wines. They're getting they're getting no American wines. <laughs> Although I saw the freaking Snoop Dogg Martha Stewart collab this, when I was Some there for New times. Year, yeah, yeah dude, there was that wine on the supermarket in Lima. I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" Yeah, these freaking guys. Yeah, but um, you know Snoop's going down there, and he's oh like, "You know, you God. guys should carry my wine." Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, but you know, you're not seeing American wines of quality. You're not seeing. You're certainly not. You're not not seeing French wines. You're certainly not seeing German wines. So, and but the potential there for the pairings just yeah. from. With the cuisine, I brought down a couple of white wines with me this past New Year's, and it was unbelievable. We had like a dry Riesling. I had a Grand Cru Pinot Gris from Alsace that we have in the book that we had with some other food that my buddy made. Like, it's like unreal. Yeah. Is and that just because they don't have like the import companies set yeah, up? Yeah. I'm yeah. sure there's a ton of bureaucracy to get into Peru and do Probably. that whole thing down there, which is why people don't do it. Um but yeah, man, we should do something. <laughs> we should change okay. that. Next oh venture, God. this is yeah, the beginning. That'd be the dream job, dude. Or yeah. here, I need a good, 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 like a fantastic Peruvian chef to come here. Because I mean, no offense to everybody out there. Maybe I just haven't tried it yet. I haven't really tried great Peruvian food in San Diego. I know some great restaurants in San Francisco mm-hmm. that have some pretty decent wine programs, yeah. but just not here. Like I need a, a great Peruvian chef. I will I will come. I'll do the menu for free. Yeah, absolutely. Hire me. Let me get yep. in there. Yeah. Do the staff training, everything. Bilingual, I got you. Let's make it happen. I'm going to yeah. clip that. I need a chef to come here and do that. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> to think about that too, because when you look, you think about the restaurants that are making like that top 50 list mm-hmm. and it's like most of those, it's like we have that cuisine in San Diego, Yeah, you know? I mean, you see it like every major city does, Yeah. Um, but you're right. There's so many restaurants from Peru and you just don't see a lot of Peruvian restaurants. Yeah. 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 We have, I, hopefully that changes soon. But because um, I mean, just, I'm, I'm going to San Francisco this weekend. Oh my God. I'm, yeah. This weekend, I'm excited to go to a couple of my of spots. I'll take my mom out to dinner. It's going to be great. Are you going anywhere in particular that you're excited about? <laughs> um, so actually, I met the Psalm a, a couple weeks ago. I was in Paso Robles Cab Camp. I was shooting up there and I met the Psalm at La Mar, which is a restaurant from Gaston Acurio. He's like one of the most famous chefs in Peru. He's like the old kind of school. He's now there's the guys that are getting the like, the um like Mito just got number one in Latin mm-hmm. America. There's like there's this new wave of chefs, yeah. but he's like Gaston Acurio is like the old school guy who mm-hmm. put Peru on the map for like Peruvian cuisine. And so his restaurant La Mar is really popular in the Barcadero in San Francisco. So I met that Psalm and he said that the sous chef there broke away and created his own restaurant that's blowing up and it's newer. So I'm like cool. kind of go so to go check it out. Nice. But apart from that, there's like, yeah, there's a couple of like Mochica is always my spot in San Francisco. Cool. There's, there's yep. a Piqueos is another one that's really, really good. Yeah. If you ever go up there, dude, I'll, 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 I'll let me know. Text me. Yeah. I'll give you and, just, and bring your own wine. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And you're going to have the best experience. Yeah. The best time ever. I mean, that's, what's cool about kind of being in this industry and doing that and like going to a place you love and then getting a great experience and like being able to gift a song with like, yes. Hey, like this is some old, like try this with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, is like, but just totally, take it, take it home. Yeah, totally. you know, and that's, then like we order order something off the list. Like you yeah, always like that's a very pro move hospitable, right there. But then sure. be like, yeah, hey, 
And they're just, thanks, for, thanks for making us a reservation. Cause it is, it's, absolutely. it's cool. And That's I right. always appreciated that as a Psalm, you know? Yeah. 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 And then it's like, you know, you try something with the food and you're like, yeah, this is great. Yeah. All right. On that note, let's shift to your Psalm days. I want to talk about that. Uh, where were you a Psalm? So, um, I became a sommelier at the Montage in Laguna Beach. Okay. Um, I was a captain server there for a while. Um, we had, I mean, it was one of those restaurants. We had, we had three Psalms, like on busy Saturday nights, we'd have three Psalms on the floor. Nice. And then like every captain server was a Psalm and you know, the list, I think we had, uh, like 13, 1400 wines on the list. Jeez. Um, it was, it was a Bible, you know, it was nice. the place where it was like, if someone was looking for something, we had a vertical of it probably, yeah, you yeah. know, and they're like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, it was, a, it's a beautiful property. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful property. property. Um, and it was like working. I mean, I owe it a lot to the people that I worked there with. It was like Jesse Rodriguez, who, you know, very well was like, that's right. You guys worked there together. Yeah. Yeah. He was always like one of my mentors. Oh, um, no way. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Jesse's the man. Jesse's the man. We worked yeah. together at Addison. Yep. Yeah. So, um, he, uh, you know, it, but being able to like work off of a list like that, I mean, yeah. you really had to know your stuff, you know, mm -hmm. because people would be like, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for this. Like, Oh, I want to, I was thinking about doing like Chateau Palmer and they're like, excellent. We have 13 vintages and they're always, what's the best one. Right. And like, and it's like, you don't not only have to know what the best vintage is, but also have to know like, what's the best vintage for them, you know? Yeah. Yep. And so that, I mean, mm -hmm. being able to do that in like, I was able to learn vintages in my top, my top regions very quickly. And then, um, I was offered the beverage director position for the four seasons on Lanai. So after Larry Ellison bought the Island, he revamped the four seasons and, uh, he was opening up one, the lodge up in the Coelho lodge up in town and yep. then one on the beach. Yep. Manelli Bay. And so how uh, long were you there for? Uh, I was there for just under like two years. What years were you there? Uh, 2004 to 2005. What? Six? We were there in the same time. Really? I lived in Maui from 2002 to 2006. No way. Yeah. That's, that's where I got into restaurants. Yeah. Wait, that's so funny. I'm wrong about that. 2012. 2012. Okay. Yeah. Different time. Different time. <laughs> 2012 to 2014. I was there 02 to 06. No way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I had some, I had some friends out there. went out to visit, never left. <laughs> we I mean, that's canceled the way, my trip back. Yeah. That's the way it works. Yeah. I was know? working in finance in San Francisco at the time. I thought I was on my way to be like a series. I was taking setting for my series seven. I wanted to be a broker. Yeah. And I completely flipped, stayed on an Island, started working in restaurants. That's so funny. And it's great. I mean, and, and really, I think like a lot of people, like the food culture out there is really good and it, 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 it is getting better, um, <clears> especially <throat> with like more farms, more people like wanting to eat local, yeah. that being a trend, not just on the mainland, but like very much a trend in Hawaii. And right. it's, um, it's very cool to, to see that. And I think that is like really pushing these chefs and you're seeing a lot of these chefs going on like top chef and like, you know, these different like cooking shows and which is great, you know, mm -hmm. and it's bringing a lot more focus and it's really raising the bar for all these other restaurants. Like if you're not performing at this level in Hawaii, um, you know, you're not, you're not going to survive. Right. And it's, and that's also pushing, you know, the, the wine industry. I mean, for us and it's, uh, people always are surprised to hear this. Like Hawaii is, uh, um, I think are in our top five States in the country. And it's like, we are in almost every state and for Hawaii, which is not, it's not a big state for them to be consuming so much wine, like so much of our wine, but yeah. like overall, like I sold a lot of wine in Hawaii and, it was, it's really cool to see that. And like, yeah. it's cause people are like eating really good food and it's like, yeah, it's fresh seafood and people want, you know, they want zippy whites and they yeah. want something that's like maybe kind of salty. And it's, 
um, it's cool and it really works with a lot of those things, you know, like spam Masubi and try Riesling. All about it. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Um, you were selling that? People were buying, pairing that? That's wild. I was pairing that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's doing spam Masubi and try Riesling, but um, someone should. It makes sense. Um, local moco and German Pinot Noir. Totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great. It, I'm not it kidding. would be really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So I did that for a while. Um, it was my first, like, I mean, I was young, I was, uh, I was, you know, 24 and I was like running a beverage program. I wasn't, you know, it was, it was, oh, you were really young. Wow. So you're a young Psalm then too, at, at, um, yeah. at the montage. Yep. Wow. Awesome. Okay. So you're 24 as a beverage director yeah. on the night for a couple of years. Wow. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it's, it's tough for all the young Psalms out there. It's tough being a young <laughs> Psalm and, uh, you know, you, you are not taken seriously. It's very much, I mean, you have a lot of guys that didn't really get into wine that'll come in you know, they didn't get into wine until they were maybe like 40 or 50, like once they're successful. And that was always like a tough thing. And they'd come in and act like they knew everything and you'd walk up to the table and they'd be like, you know what? I'm actually okay. I'll just do this. And it's like, it was you know, it was definitely a blow to the ego a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I grew out the beard a little bit and like looked older. And then, um, and you know, it, it slowly started to change. And once, you know, people realize you really do know like what you're talking about, yeah. you know, the list very well. Um, then, you know, you would, you'd be able to like guide people along a, on a better experience. Let me ask you this. Cause I think there's a lot of lessons in like looking, <laughs> looking back at the past, what you could have done better, maybe what you shouldn't have done. Um, being such a young aficionado of wine and, and having that position. And because after that, I know you were a beverage director for another restaurant for several years also, mm-hmm. where I'm sure you continue yeah. to kind of improve your skills and gain experience. But what's something that you would tell yourself if you would look back on that and that first job as in a position of buying as an actual beverage director in Lanai, what advice would you give to yourself to be successful at it? More successful maybe, or what pit, in the pitfalls to avoid. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, there's, there's, there's always going to be a, a lot of things, but I mean, I just, I didn't realize, um, kind of the, the tools that you had to, um, create a really fun program and like some things that you could do. I mean, I would very much, I'd look at, you know, I'd look at price lists and I'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, this is too expensive. I could never pour this by the glass. Um, and uh, I would say that you like price lists are very malleable. And that's like something that I would definitely tell my younger self. Um, and I figured it out, I mean, late into the game. And when I would talk to people and I'd be like, oh, I'd love to pour this, but I need it at this price point. And, you know, whoever was running certain estate, we'd have like Lisa Peju would like come to the island and be like, oh, no, I can do that. You want to put it like my dad loves the restaurant? Of course. Yeah, we can get it down to that price. And I was like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's like those things are, um, something that I've, I've learned, um, now doing this cause I do it for people yep. and a lot of people just don't, don't they know. Don't, they don't ask. Yeah. They don't ask. Yeah. And it's like something really cool. And they're like, Oh, we only have so much of this, but we might have more for you if you want to like champion it and pour it by the glass. And it's right. like, we were able to pour, you know, I poured trefethin at, um, like five different properties by the glass. And like one of the properties was going through, 10 cases a month of it. And because we were going through so much, we were able to get this like 
really great price on Trevet and Chardonnay, which is like, you know, it's a, it's a good, it's a very classic Chardonnay. I was very happy with it. But when looking at the price point, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't pour that by the glass. And they're right. like, well, what if you, what if we set it up like this? Right. And I just, I mean, it allows you to really have a fun, cool by the glass program. Um, but you, you have to ask. And yeah. sometimes I would just do something and not ask. I would just put something on by the glass. Right. And I wouldn't right. tell my rep. I wouldn't tell the importer. And they'd be pouring like shampoo by the glass. And they're like, you know, there's a $3 like discount on that if you pour it by the glass. And I'm like, oh, I had no idea. And they're like, or <laughs> like uh, this, like, you know, Hawaii only gets 10 cases. But if we hear you're pouring it by the glass, we'll send a pallet. Right, right. And right. it was like, I just, I didn't know the inner workings on the back end where it's yeah. like, I just thought I, c- I can or I can't. And this is the rule, but it's not. It's everything is like just, it's, yeah. you can, you can can shift things around a little bit. I think it also helps to just like be cool and be cool with the people that you work with. And, yeah. and maybe every now and then you, you ask what are the possibilities of maybe doing this or that? And there's a bigger conversation to be had than you might think. Yeah. So, and I just never, I never knew that those were the bigger conversations until people, my reps, my really good reps were the ones coming to me yeah. and saying like, Hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, Oh, well that's, it's too expensive. And they're like, well, we can, Maybe do this. Right, right, right. And I, I didn't know there was, I didn't never knew there was a maybe. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there's some, there's a maybe involved. <laughs> cool. So I wanted to ask you this question too. And it's, it's kind of, it's a little similar to what you just answered, but maybe you'll give me another answer here too. Because I'm, I was always curious to know, like, now that you are working in sales and you are working on the import side, is there something that you wish you knew? Maybe something different from what you just said, like back when you were a wine director? And if that's too repetitive, I feel like we kind of just answered it too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, that, that same general idea. I mean, I think me going from even like me being at Four Seasons to me going over and working for um, the, all the Merriman's restaurants. Um, and I mean, what was so great about that is I was running multiple different programs and I had different demographics because they were on different islands. Um, and that became very fun and cool. And it's like, I would have even, once I figured out kind of how to do that, I would have even gone back to my like four season self and been like, Hey, like this is, I would have been able to make more money for the four seasons, you know? Yeah. Once you really figure that out and how to like target your demographic and that goes back to us being like, okay, not being, you know, I really liked, you know, there were certain producers, like I really liked, let's say like Maxime Mignon, like right before I left, I mm-hmm. discovered Maxime Mignon. I was like, these wines are so cool. But it's like, I'm not putting a bunch of this producer on the list because I know it as a Psalm. My Psalm, my nerdy Psalm friends knew who it was. Um, but it's like, it's not going to really like, we're not going to move a lot of it. So like, what are the wines and the places? Like, what, what, where are the holes on my list? And like, how do I fill them? And that was something that um, I wish I had known at a younger age um, and earlier on in the industry, but um, being able to fill those holes on a program and there's holes on like every program it's just, they're always going to be there, but it's like, all right, within the size of your list, like what are the things that make sense for your restaurant? Mm -hmm. And um, learning that over time is always something really cool. And it's something that I felt like I got really good at and I really enjoyed. It was almost like a puzzle. So I started doing it for other restaurants um, like on Maui, I would just do it for, you know, I would do it for free food or, you know, I would just set up like a 1099 with them and, um, I'd get paid and I would do it kind of on the side while oh, I was cool, doing other cool. programs. Yep. Um, 
or I would just do it like a, you know, a family owned spot. And like, I liked eating there, but the wine list was less than exciting. Yeah. And I would be like, Hey, like I know all these reps. I know the wines that I would want on your list. That'll make you more money. I, would you allow me to, you know, and I would work with them. Right. And then I, every time I'd go in, they'd be like, Oh, Zach, <laughs> we're taking care of dinner tonight. Yeah. They're, still, like, yeah, yeah, they're helping them out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I'm, I was more than okay with that because you know, I'd get a free dinner and I'd buy a wine that I put on the list that I was yeah. really happy with. And I'd have yeah, this yeah. incredible experience and I would see more people doing that. And right. I would see the owners being really happy. And it, it's like, you know, I think the hospitality industry as a whole is very, you know, it's a big, it's a big family. Like you, you everybody should at least feel the need to help out these other places. And I think totally. we all have, like, if you see a place that you love yeah, and it's like, doesn't seem like it's doing as well as it should. Yeah. It's like, like, that's like, Hey, like what, what can I do? That's so funny. Yeah. To I've make this place. conversation yeah. for sure with little people that I run into, you're just like, damn, I want, I want these people to be successful. Yeah. But they're like so missing this one. Buy my thing. wine. Like, I don't care. I just want you like, how do I be, how, how yeah. can we make you successful? You know? Yeah. Or a restaurant you love to eat at and you're like, Hey, like, let me throw some things on, like not even my wines. Like we don't even have to buy, I won't, I'll, I'll do one of my wines. And then let me just throw on like 10 other things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or like I went somewhere recently and everything on the menu, all the entrees are like 20 to 30. All the, or I'm sorry, all the appetizers are 20 to 30. All the entrees are like 40 to 60. Mm -hmm. And their buy the glass list doesn't go over $10. Wow. And you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, you come to those places and then you're like, yeah, you know, they're like kind of struggling and they're everyone, everyone there is like, oh yeah, the food's kind of expensive. And it's like, is the food expensive or is like everything else more affordable? And it's like, it's in a nice space. Right. And it's like, no, you guys just need to like, like you, you need to have these wines on and then you're focusing more on your demographic, the same demographic that you're focusing on with your food. Right. You're now focusing on with your wine list. Right, right, right. You know, and it's like so the guy that wants to go in and order a $60 ribeye isn't going to want, you know, a $7 glass of Cabernet. Of right, right, right. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you th see those things and it's frustrating because you want to maybe give your input, but also you don't want to step on toes, you know, you just... But it is, you know, it's hard. Yeah. But you want to help out your friends exactly. in the industry. Yeah. So what took you to where you are now, to the German Wine Collection? How'd you get in? So I When did was, you make the switch? I was buying a lot of these wines. Um, it wasn't until um, I... Um, you know, I, I was working a lot with Jenna Fields and she had approached me post COVID. She had just started the company. Uh, Rudy V said retired and she wanted to kind of continue on and wanted to not lose these growers. Like the, obviously these wineries were very important. They're very important to me at the time. Um, I bought up a, a ton of the wines and she came out and, you know, we did a, a tasting and she informed me that I was one of the biggest buyers in the country for, for Rudy Vist. And I didn't know. I was just like the guy that was like, you have seven cases of Hans Versching box boidel half bottles. Yeah, I'll take all seven cases of those. <laughs> and then she was just like, Kate, like I would pick up an entire allocation for the state and I would pick up all of it. Yeah. And um, I didn't really think twice about it because I was like, cool, I can kind of distribute it amongst restaurants and I can um, I know that I can move it. And yeah, because it's delicious. And, you know, I'm on the floor a lot and different things like that. And um when she had come out in like 2021, 2022, kind of that time, she uh, had told me that, you know, she's like expanding. And I was like, wow, cool. I would love to work for a company like yours. Just kind of in a very, you know, 
flippant way. You mm-hmm. know, we were just having a conversation and sure. And she, um, she was like, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. And then it kind of moved, grew from there. And she's like, would you want to move back to California? I'm originally from California. My family lives in orange County. Yeah. Um, and I hated the idea of kind of leaving, um, Hawaii, leaving Merriman's. I loved working for Peter Merriman. I think the whole restaurant group is great. It was very much focused on local food. And yeah. um, he gave me carte blanche on the list. And we were able to create this amazing beverage program around those ideals. Um, but it was like I had reached my peak. Yeah. And it was very much like, okay, I can have a bigger impact on the industry if I move. And I do something like this where I'm not selling to the consumer necessarily, but I'm very much trying to influence the the sommeliers. I'm trying to influence some of these big buyers on why this makes sense for their program and why you should have, you know, a $110 grand crew Pinot Gris on your list from yeah. Germany, you know? Yeah. And it was something that I could convince a buyer to do, yeah. you know, and if like they had the trust in me, but it was getting other, um, you know, people on, on board with it. And, you know, I think overall that, that should snowball. Yeah. So it seems like you pretty quickly moved into your current role, which is director of education pretty, for, in the company. Yeah, pretty, um, pretty quickly. So what is your philosophy? How are you approaching that, this position that you have now, the director of education? Um, I mean, what the easiest part about having this position is um, representing a portfolio where I just have to open up wine. Um, I mean, like this. I mean, yeah. it's like something that I think most people aren't going out and, and automatically buying a, a bottle of German sparkling wine. That's say like 80, $90. Yeah. Um, but me opening it up for somebody and then being like, Oh, why, this is amazing. Like I would easily put this up against a lot of like champagne houses, anything out, coming out of like Italy, any Cava. Um, it, percent. Yeah. This thing is, delicious. you know, it, 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 you can taste the quality. And yeah. I think once you're in the industry for a while, you're like, you taste something, you're like, this is quality. This right. tastes good. Um, and it's like being able to just do that. And like that right from the start. I, but I guess like, I'm asking like, what is, what is your goal with the, being a director of education? Like, how are you structuring that? What are some of the goals that you want to achieve with that? Um, I think, I mean, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of goals. I think every, every list should have at least one or two German wines on it. Um, mm-hmm. Even the small ones. Yeah. Um, I mean, by the glass, like let's, I mean, Germany's producing incredible rosé, incredible sparkling wine. Yep. Um, obviously, top producers of Riesling. I think Riesling should be on every menu. I think it should be, you know, like if you have a Chardonnay, you should have a Riesling. And that should be like the second thing. I mean, there's certain restaurants in town that, um, I mean, Underbelly now has the one white wine and it's yeah. Riesling. And yep. that's like, that's what I want to drink when I go and there. It's a perfect pairing. It makes sense. Yep. Um, and I think just like bringing down people's walls in terms of, um, not being able to put on two German wines on by the glass. Yeah. Um, and then also changing the narrative away from the idea that German wine is all sweet Riesling. Right. Um, if I can do that, I'm happy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know my boss is immediately like, well, you need to sell wine, but if I can just change people's minds away from the idea that it's all sweet Riesling yeah, and open up people's eyes into like Pinot Blanc, Pinot right. Gris, you know, even if you're like a place and you're like, yeah, we don't really sell a lot of Riesling. Like, that's okay. Yeah, let's let's taste through. I did a tasting a while back. Didn't bring one Riesling. I was sixteen wines, and I didn't. I, there were no Rieslings. Mm-hmm. And I think the buyer was even kind of like taken aback. Like what? I was surprised, and I was like, "Well, I looked at your Riesling list. It seemed like it seemed rather flush." Yeah. And I think these are the holes on your list. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, it resulted in a lot of placements, and I think a lot of people, and that 
that buyer was like, yeah, this is the best interpretation of Pinot Blanc that I've ever had. Or this is one of the best Pinot Noirs that I've had for the price point. And, right. um, and I think that for us is also, you know, we, with rising prices in France, we're able to sell wine at more affordable prices. Yeah. 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 Definitely. I think there's a and that's great huge. market for it. For right sure. Now, especially, yeah. especially. No, it's just always interesting to me to kind of see what, how people are approaching that. Cause I think education is such a big thing. I think it can be overdone, you know, some it's easy to give people too much. Yeah. And especially with a topic where German recent, excuse me, German white wines can be, there's a lot that goes in. There's a lot that, that, that you have to understand about them. Mm-hmm. That I'm just curious, you know, how you approach that with different people i think you got to feel it out right certain people they do want like the full like intense breakdown yeah. of like the, the every technical aspect about this wine and other people are just like they just want the easy cliff notes on how to how to sell this wine to a guest and, and it yeah just it, finding it, that sweet spot in between right but it's really I think about that a lot too now i'm just like how do we make this easy how do we make this easy for people accessible approachable digestible yeah and it varies from pe- person to person yeah right? and i think um i think what people what the average consumer, let's say, is what the information that they are looking for now is is changing, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, it's like I'll have somebody that doesn't know a whole lot about wine and I'll like talk about it. Like, yeah, it comes from Germany. It's like this and someone will be like, oh, is it a natural wine? You know, and it's like I think that's like one of those like popular words right now, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I had someone recently ask like, oh, is this like regenerative farming? Which I hadn't heard a whole lot of and I'm starting to hear more and it's like, yeah, like Romlin, like regenerative farming. Yeah. Right? They have this like micro ecosystem within yeah. their vineyard sites and, or like, is it organic? Yeah. Is this, I had someone ask me like, is this hand hard? And you just don't really know like, what is the, what, what is the thing that I'm going to say? Yeah. What's that, your take on that, man? It's hard to cut you off. What's your take on these buzzwords that come up? I mean, it, it, and like it, organic or yeah. I, mean, I don't want to call organic a buzzword, but it does mean so many different things to different people in different yeah. areas. It is. It's very much. Um, I mean, I think it's 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 important. I think a lot of like your wines are organic. Sure. And, um, you know, I think like responsible farming is yeah. is really important. I think sure. too many people get caught up in like, oh, is this like certified? Is this like the matter certified biodynamic or is this right. producer like? You know, like it's a self-sustaining vineyard site and they're like just yeah. letting it go. I, I just, and again, I, I, um, I, I want to preface this by saying I need, do need to get more educated about really like the nuances of what all these things mean. But it seems like, you know, I was in France last year with the team and we were, we went throughout the Rhone and, and, you know, Northern and Southern Rhone and Bandol and Cassis and, and. We had a lot of these conversations. Cassis is ridiculous. Amazing. If I ever go missing, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I'm going to be in Cassis. Just like, ocean. yeah, just cliffside vineyards yes. overlooking. Yes. It's insane. Blue. Insane. Oh, yeah. But we're asking, you know, we're having all these conversations because, again, of course, for us, too, it's such a hot topic. People want to know if these wines are mm-hmm. organic. And I was really trying to ask these questions like, are you guys organic? What are you doing? This and that. And everybody seems so ba- not baffled, but they're just like, uh, yes and mm-hmm. no. Yeah, maybe. But like a lot of them, too, I think were what they were saying is that we're we're making that switch to get the certification. but the requirements for organics are actually doing more harm to the soil from some of the ingredients that they have to use in their sprays to meet the qualifications of organics that a lot of people don't do it for that reason. Yeah. It's like, yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an investment. Sure. They have to spend some money to, to, to kind of maybe change some ways on doing things a certain yeah. way. Your yields get wildly affected. Yeah. You know? But there were also, it seemed like also they were just like, yeah, it's, it's we kind of don't want to, 
Yeah. We're, we were doing, we're doing more regenerative farming already. Mm-hmm. And, and because of what they're requiring from us is, is not really how we would like to farm. And not yeah. because it's not the right way. It's more because we think that it's actually doing more harm to the vineyards and the soils. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Biodynamics too was another conversation. I think mm-hmm. every winemaker had like a different take on what biodynamics meant to them. Yeah. So I, I think it's just easy for people to throw all this. Is it biodynamic? Is it organic? I only drink organic wines. I'm like, I only drink natural wines. I'm like, do you even know what you're looking for? No. Or is it just the word? That I would say the average you, person doesn't know what natural yeah, wines. Yeah. And, 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 and listen, Maybe. again, so they're to, 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 again, in defense of, of them and, and the information that they have in front of them, it's difficult to know. You don't know. Nobody knows what, what they're actually yeah. doing. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to put on the label. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to I put would say, yeah, there. there's, and I think the reasons that, you know, we, when we go to like Europe and we talk about like organics and things like that, I yeah. mean, I, I think for them, they're like, oh, well, we've been doing, you know, some wineries will be like, we're doing, we haven't changed anything in like a hundred years. And like, yeah, this is the way we do it. Maybe it doesn't meet the specific qualifications of organics, but I think the good thing about it is it's like for the American palate, we are trying to get away from like, you know, there's still like over 70 different things that we can put in a bottle of wine yeah, and insane. not disclose yep. on the label in, yeah. in America. And yeah. like, that's not the way that it is in the EU. Yeah. And so I think for those people that are like, yeah, I drink these wines. Like, yeah, it might be like in fashion or like a buzzword, but it's like, it is kind of pushing us in this, this right direction. Agreed. Yep. And then at the very least, I think people have gone overboard with it where they're like, oh, like how many parts per million of sulfur? Right, right. I had someone, that's like something that I get asked. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I know the ones that are like less than 50 parts per million of, but it's like, even the ones that are over, it's like, those are not the things that we should be worried about. Like someone will say that and then they're going to drink. One of the wines that, you know. Or talk about what they might be eating during the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then has, you're like, yeah, this guy's eating like, you know, McDonald's. And then yeah. he's asking me like how many parts per million of sulfur I have in the wine. And I'm like, dude, you're eating French, like that French, that French fry you just had has more parts per million of sulfur yeah. than this bottle of wine. <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't know what, what to oh tell you. God. So it, it is, I mean, hopefully it helps shift the American wine industry in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's got, it is frustrating. I talked yeah. to a lot of winemakers in the EU and they are, they're frustrated with, you know, us being like, well, it needs to be like organic or us even asking like, Hey, like, are you doing biodynamic practices? I mean, and it's funny cause they're like, do you know what you're producing in America? And we're like, yep. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I know I got to get you out of here. I want to do one last thing if we have time. I'd love to blind taste you on the wine. Are you cool? Yeah, let's do it. Let me do it real quick. So, no, no pressure. pressure. You don't need to do like a CMS grid or anything like that. <laughs> Nobody needs no. to hear that. Everybody already does that on their own. Like I'm way more interested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need to do that. I'm way more interested in just to kind of see what your approach is to breaking down a wine. I think it's helpful for other people. I, that's one of the things I love the most about tasting groups is that you do you learn something from everybody, right? Like yeah. everybody has a little something to offer. Maybe they have this insight on what helps guide them to a certain wine. So again, no wrong answer, no pressure, dude. I just I think this is a fun process. Cheers. Cool. Cheers, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you again for having me on. Absolutely. I mean, up front, I mean, it's, uh, it's baked apple, right? I mean, it is, it's got this, like, um, it's got this ripeness to it. Yeah. So, I mean, um, like you can tell it's either, um, it's either warm environment 
or it's uh, just like harvested a touch later. Mm-hmm. Um, there might even be a little bit of botrytis on there as well. Right, you get a little bit of that ginger, that honeycomb, um, honeysuckle. Oh, it's nice. I mean, the fruit's there. It definitely finishes. It finishes dry, which I'm more than happy with. Yep. Um, I think there is this kind of impression of sweetness on the nose that you get. Um, and I think there, that there probably still is a touch of botrytis on it, especially looking at the color. Um, but it, the fact that it is finishing dry is, 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 <clears throat> is nice and pleasant. Um, what does it remind you of? Like, or what is it not? Um, it's not California Chardonnay. You know, um, I'm not getting a whole lot of oak on it overall. Um, there's this a little bit of this kind of baking spice quality. So, you know, there might be like large, you know, 1200 liter barrels or even 500 neutral barrels used. Yeah. Um, just but I mean, outside of that, you know, you're not getting any vanilla, not, no, no real like coconut. Yeah. Everything you're saying so far is spot on. Um. Um, it is delicious. Yeah, it's tasting really good. <laughs> I'm stoked on that. Um, you know, but I'm thinking... Um, I actually made the mistake last podcast on tasting somebody on something, and it was cooked. So we did, So I learned my lesson. I tasted this earlier. Are these this like from your like, cellar? No, not necessarily. Oh, okay. They can be. Oh, okay. They, may, they might not be. Yeah. You're like, this is the 19... 19- As I do more of this, I'm definitely going to mix in some stuff that's not from our book. <clears throat> cool. Because I don't want, you know, people are going to be like, oh, it's one of these wines. But, you know, it might it might be, it might not be. Um, the palate definitely it threw me for a loop. Um, the nose is very much going like <clears throat> Alsace. Um, and I think because of that botrytis, because of those like apple notes, mm. um, and then I was even thinking almost like, like maybe like something Loire. Yeah. Um, but now I'm thinking more, um, I'm thinking more Burgundy. Mm. No, I'll stick with the first two. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, don't, I'm not going to let you get derailed here. Um, one, of, one of the first two. I don't know. Always. Um, that's like the, the blind tasting thing. Always stick with like your first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. I like talk myself out of shit 100%. all the time. Yeah. We all. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what they say. Stick with your gut. Stick with your first reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, um, that tension in the mid palate and the fact that it finishes dry. Um, I'm going to go all sauce. I think it has that, this structure. Um, and it's got, um, yeah, this like depth. And I think a lot of the, the vineyard sites in this area, um, there is a touch because of the continuation of like, it's more or less like faulty. I think it has those qualities. Um, I have one more splash. Do it. Do it. Appreciate you. Get in there. Dude, it's, it is <laughs> delicious. Yeah. Something tells me, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not Loari enough, so I'm definitely going all sauce. All right. Let me grab the bottle. Um, oh, great. I'm going to say that this is, uh, I'm going to say this is 2015, 2017 Riesling from Alsace. 
Oh, you were close, sir. You were real close. This, this is Chenin Blanc. That was your other option from the bar. No! This is not an easy wine, though, because it is a later harvest Chenin Blanc. So these guys do a straight kind of regular harvest time Anjou Blanc, 100% Chenin Blanc. And then they have another bottling, which is what this is. And they date it. So it's Le Vendage de Tardif. September. Yep. Yeah. And it's a, it's not oh, tardy. It's, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks yeah. after normal harvest okay. time. So you were right in saying that it is, it has a little bit riper. It feels like it has some like notes of later harvest and then they ferment fully dry. Okay. So dude, definitely not an easy one. I, I was thinking, you know, we were talking about, you know, just again, in the yeah. realm of Riesling, especially when you can go late harvest and you have like these spate laces and else laces that are being uh, fermented fully dry now. It's yeah. kind of like a similar concept in there, but you were right up this there, man. This is delicious. It's great, right? Yeah, it's drinking really well right now too. I'm stoked on that. Yeah. Um, Take that with you, man. Is that okay? 100%. Pour the decanter back in there and, and we'll do it. So, okay, last, we're going to finish up. There's there's uh, something I've been trying to do, a tradition. I'd love for you to leave a question on the show um, for the next guest that comes in. What's something that you would like to ask somebody? There'll probably be somebody in the hospitality industry. They might be a wine person, okay. but at least connected to the industry in one way. Um, I would say, I mean, the question that I... I mean, if they if they are connected within the wine industry, or even if they aren't, um, I I'm always interested. I think the world of wine is changing at a more rapid rate now than than ever, and there's so many things. There's such a wealth of knowledge and information. It's impossible to know everything. Um, I'm always interested in like right now, what are you excited about in the world of wine? Like like being a particular like producer, which is ideal. Like right, like what yep. what producer are you really excited about? Like what did you come across recently that you were like this is super cool. And maybe it's not for everybody. Maybe it's not just super delicious, but it's like something for you that you were like, Oh, I love this, you know? And maybe it's like, Oh, I had this older bottle of like Weinbach Gewurztraminer, which I had lately. And I was like, this is super cool. <laughs> nice. But like, what have you tasted recently that like sits in your mind? Like when someone has that question, like what do you have that bottle? Do Are you, you asking know? me? Yeah, I'm asking you right now. Um, what do you have? Do you have something that you're like, ooh, I had this recently and it just was shocking. And like, like I will say like I had, um, I had an old bottle of like 1972 Louis Martini mm -hmm. and it was like so wow. cool. Not, not delicious. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't delicious, but it was like something I was like, it was it makes you think, yeah, you yeah. know, and it was something that would be like, yeah, like anybody in the industry would be like, yeah, try this. How yeah, crazy totally. is that? God. Okay. So I would have, I mean, the thing that's coming to mind right now and it's kind of self-serving because it's one of our wines, but it's, um, I'm just being honest. I haven't been drinking a lot. So that's like, a th I've been, I'm almost, I'm coming up like yeah. close to three months of not drinking, honestly. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't um, have to be something. So I've been staying away from putting myself in those environments where yeah. I could try some cool stuff for the last three months. Um, but right before that, I was tasting... 2019 and 2001 Bandol from one of our producers side by side. The O ones were amazing, and just being able—I don't normally have the back vintages with me to go out into the market and show them, but just showing the 19 versus the O one and and seeing that like where the wine was and it yeah. was still like such a money place. Like it's still rich and got a lot of concentration. Yeah. Like the primaries and secondaries are like in such great sync, yeah. and you're just getting a hint of tertiary, but like it was just shining through and. It was, even like the first time I tried it, I was like, holy crap, this, this wine is amazing. Like it's showing so well. So, yeah. And I think Bandol is like one of my favorite regions if we're talking about like steakhouses and like just big, meaty, ageability, gamey red wines. Yeah. And ageability, like, is it's, insane. It's so, almost unmatched. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah and some of you know some of the some of the wines in the '90s they start to get a little crazy and like full on tertiary. This O one was just in such a good spot yeah. of like primary and secondary. That was that's probably the one for yeah. me that, that not full me. sweaty saddle, yeah. just like a little a bit nice... of like horse blanket. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. cool. See, I like I like yeah. hearing that because yeah, yeah, then it's yeah, like yeah. immediately no, I'm like fired up. I'm gonna try to find some old Vandal, you know, <laughs> and then sure. drink it and be like, yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think those are like cool questions. As always, uh, I hate to cut this off because I feel like we could talk for another hour. There's like a ton of stuff. Maybe we can do a part round two on one of these. (laughs) Um, But dude, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, we got to cut it. You got to go. I I got to go. go. (laughs) Uh, I get to work. But man, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, I I do. um, I'll 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 end with this. I've I've. Jenna was always the sweetest when we started working with her. When I was in a buying position, the portfolio was fantastic. You're awesome, dude. I remember always working with you. And I, I just I just always need to uh I, I need to commend people on that because I really appreciate the good people in this world and especially the good people in our industry, dude. It means a lot to me. And you guys were always super cool, cool. and thoughtful appreciate about you. the things that you did. So um just thank you for that, man. I think we need we need more people like that in the industry. So yeah. Um, we'll wrap with that, dude. We'll do part two soon. Automatic. Oh, appreciate you. Thank you for your time, brother. <laughs> Thank I you, appreciate man. you.